Greetings, uh, church. Uh, those of you who are here present and um, those online, we are thankful you're here tonight as we continue uh, on the, in this series of life enrichment and striving to encourage ourselves and recognize the importance that God has placed on the human soul, uh, on each individual person alive on the earth, and in particular, specifically, uh, members of the body of Christ. So how wonderful that is. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Great God, we love you and thank you and praise you. We praise your holy and divine name. And we thank you, Lord God, with the best of our ability, with the words that we can echo to you, realizing that, Lord God, our words are so shallow. So as we strive to say thank you to you, we ask, Lord God, that you will translate that those words into that heavenly language that shows our greatest appreciation and love for you for all that you've done for us, and for all that you do for us, and for all that you will do in our future. We thank you for Jesus, your great son, who died a brutal death, that we might live. We thank you for your amazing grace and for your matchless love. We pray, Lord God, tonight as we worship you, as we rather study your word, and we praise your name, that you will bless us, that our Bible study will be one that we may be enlightened and grow and understand how much you love us and how much you care for us. These things we pray and thank you in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. It be thy will. Amen. Okay, so as we continue our study tonight um, on life enrichment, when you think about the value of a human being, you, know, you start, how valuable are we? There's just, you know, there was always this, this wrestling match with those who, who believe in and abortion, and those who do not, those who say that, uh, you know, that they're in the womb, that we are not, we are not humans, we are not, we are non-existent, if you will, and and certainly we disagree with that wholeheartedly. And I want to show you how important, or just think about how important we are. From conception, there are over one million tiny sperm cells competing for life, right? And 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 think about. God's God's plan. You were, are, the fastest, the swiftest, the strongest, and the best. You won. By the help of God, you became the victor. We say God doesn't make junk. Because from the very beginning, from the very moment, from that from that very hour, God chose you. And so it's important to remember that you are important to God. You're important to this world. You mattered from, from the womb, from conception. You matter now, and, and you will always matter. And you are necessary. Necessary not only for the church, but necessary for the world. And your existence is meant for good, for a blessing to all, not, not for evil. And though there may be trials in our lives, we know that we're made for God's positive good and God's positive purpose to bless this world. Again, I echo, you are 
very extremely important to God, to the church, and to humanity. And in Matthew 6, Jesus, he's teaching us this lesson. And and maybe when you go back and you read Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25, and you begin to really dig and think about what it is that Jesus is trying to relate to you, to me, to the world, to us, to his people. What message is Jesus trying to relate to us? Well, the first thing we know is, it's not just about anxiety and depression, but it's about value. It's how important you are. So I'm going to begin at verse 25 and read through this text. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God saw raise the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so in that, he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at God's creation. Look at the grass. Look at the beauty. Look at the mountains. Look at, look at nature. Look at everything. And realize in verse 26 that you are, he uses the word worth much more than they. God places value on humanity. You are worth something to God. How much? Well, to God, you're worth everything. How much? So much so that he died for each individual soul on the earth. Right? Each individual. Not for the world collectively, but for each and every individual soul. God is wonderful. He says you are worth that much. The grass withers and fades. The grass grows and, and then, you know, it, it, it dies. But God says, don't you know, if I put that much energy into the grass that's here for a season and gone, don't you realize how important you are to me? And so when we think about our lives and think about ourselves, we've got to recognize that God is intimately and desires to be intimately acquainted with us and God sees the worth of what he made it's like when we have a, a children uh, our baby our that baby that is born automatically has 100% value and worth right and that's what we are to God we are his children and we automatically have this value and this worth and God loves us so much he cares for us every step of the way 
I want to go back to Psalm 139, and you're very familiar with it, in verse 13, when God talks about, again, what happens uh, at, our, at our birth, and even prior to our birth in the womb. Verse 13, For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So God says, look, I have, number one, you are the most valuable of all creation. Humans are the most valuable of all the creation. In fact, the text tells us that God made the creation for us to enjoy and to benefit from it. We are so valuable that God is involved in every aspect of our lives, even while in the womb, even while uh, secretly, the Bible says, uh, wrought, if you will. God is presently and, 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 if you will, in a sense, physically with us because he loves us that much. In other words, God will never leave us alone. He will never abandon us. He promised that to us. So here's what we have to do. What we ought to do as God's people, Matthew chapter 11, what we ought to do is learn to do the most, one of the most difficult things uh, for us to do, and that is to cast our burdens away. Now, casting them away doesn't mean to cast them off into some distant land, but rather to cast our burdens on Jesus. I mean, really, the things that are bogging me down, the things that are holding me back, the things that I am concerned about and uh, whatever words you want to use, whether I'm anxious about it, I'm worried about it, it's bothering me, I, I don't think I can do this, I don't think I can do that. When someone tells you you can't do it, you believe in God, you trust in God, brother, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? And so as our children grow up and, you know, they grow up and, and we begin saying as, as a child, we say, I can do it, I can do it, and we believe we can do anything. In reality, no, well, you know, just a child, not yet. But God develops us in such a way to where we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You can, we can learn and be educated and grow. And there's so many things that God has put inside of us, but something holds us back. And you know, oftentimes it's just self, right? Oftentimes I hold myself back, right? I mean, I listen to the voice of other people and then I internalize it. And when you internalize it, you take ownership of it. When you take ownership of it, then it belongs to you, and then it's your thought instead of someone else's thought, right? you got to learn how to use that delete button in your brain. Right? When, something, when streams of information come in, decide what you're going to do with it, right? It either goes into your long-term memory or goes into that short-term delete file. And delete it and get rid of the trash, because trash doesn't need to be inside of God's people's minds. But in order to do that, we have to learn to cast our burdens aside and let God have a chance in our lives to be God. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, think about that, right? Because I like, I like to be in control. Personally, I like to be in control of as much as I possibly can. But there comes a point when you realize that you cannot be in control of everything. Not even everything in your own life. I mean, there, we can't even be in control of our emotions sometimes. You're, you're, you know, our emotions are meant to, to, uh, work sporadically, if you will, and also to work consistently. If something jumps, if something startles us, our emotions jump into action. 
Thank God for that. I can't control every part of my life. And so when it comes to anxiety and it building up in my life, that's an emotion. And I try to control it. What I have to learn to do is learn to give things to God and truly give them to God and, and not pick them up and not want to have them close to me uh, and, you know, and not, not, you know, just don't reach for it and just let it go. And that is very difficult. That, and for some, it's even more difficult than for others, especially if you're dealing with clinical depression and, and all. And, and it is tough. Life, life is tough. And God knew that. And that's why God says to us in Matthew uh, chapter 11 and verse 25, 28 rather, he says, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Why would God call the weary if there aren't anyone out there or any people out there who aren't weary? Obviously, there are a lot of his people who are weary. We're weary. We're tired. We're fighting against Satan. We're fighting against life. We're fighting against, against stress. We're fighting against, against, we're fighting against everything it seems like, right? God says, please give me something. Let me be God. Let me be the God in your life and take your burdens away. But I will not take them. I ask you, I offer to you for you to give them willfully, willingly over to me. It's hard. Look at First Peter 5. First Peter 5 and, and verse 7. First Peter 5 and, and ver- very short verse. Casting all your anxiety upon him. And he tells us why. Because he cares for you. Does he care? Yeah, he really does. He loves us so much. He cares. And he says, this is why I want you to do this. Because there are some things in this world that are too difficult for us to handle on our own. There are a lot of things like that. And not only are there things on this earth and in this life and in our brains that are too difficult for us to handle, we're not God. And God knows that it's impossible for us to handle it. So you have to turn things over, turn them over to God and allow God to be God. Because God can handle it. And he's telling us that. But we have to believe and we have to trust that really, truly, honestly, if we humble ourselves, God really, truly can handle it. And think about this for just a moment. When you go to the medical professional uh, and they say to you, we're, we're going to have to remove some parts of your body in order for you to feel better. Now, if you don't have confidence in the doctor, you, you might say, no way, it's never going to happen. But we find this confidence in the medical professional and the, and the anesthesiologist and the, and the, um, uh, the doctor himself and the, the nurses and whomever else might be caring for us. And we will allow them to put us under Ken can tell you about this. Right? We will allow them to put us under, and we know that anesthesiologists, there's a, there's a chance we might not make it. But we will go by faith and allow them to put us under, allow the doctor to cut us open and work on us, close us up, and we believe that we're going to come out of this all right. 
And God says, am I not greater than a doctor? Have I not given the doctor his wisdom? Why is it then so difficult to let God have the problems in my life? Is it because I don't trust God? Or is it because I just want to still be in control as much as I can? Let us try as God's people not to wait until life is out of control to give things to God. Let's try to give things to God while things are actually literally in control as much as they can be. In other words, while maybe good things are happening in our lives. So God, who truly, truly loves us, He desires our good. He desires our salvation. He desires that we who are weary, He desires that we come to Him. Right? Um, let's look at Psalm 34. He wants us to come to Him, and He wants us to trust in Him, and He wants us to give our lives over to Him, And he wants to do it. He wants to be so involved in our lives. (laughs) He wants to be like there all the time. I'm happy for that. Verse uh, verse 18. Listen to what it says. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So God says, I want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to be with the brokenhearted. Who wants to be with the brokenhearted? God. I want to be with the contrite in spirit. I want to be with the one that's hurting. I want to be with the one whose spirit is crushed. I want to be with the one who is in sorrow. I want to be with the one who is suffering. I want to be with the one who is broken. I want to be with the one who is crushed. I want to be with the one who is oppressed because God says, I can handle it. I can handle it. And God not only desires to be with us, and and not only does he have the ability to handle it, he wants to. It brings him happiness to be there for us when we are down. And we just have to believe that and trust that and, and grow deeper in our intimate relationship with God and, and just learn to pray to Him and give Him everything. Give Him, give all to God. And I know it, it's so tough. It's, especially if we're out of practice, right? To be in practice, to be in the habit of praying to God and saying, Oh God, Oh God, I, you, you know my every situation. And then, and then to be very, very passionate and very intimate and, 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 you know, very full of, of everything you have to say. Lord, Lord God, I, I humbly come to you. I'm struggling. Here's my problem. And explain it to God in detail. And then, rem, and then remind yourself that, God, I don't have the answers. And I don't know which way to go. I don't know the direction. I, I just know that you promised that everything will work out for the good. And I don't know when that's going to happen. And I don't know how that's going to happen. But dear God, I believe that's going to happen. But dear God, Please help my unbelief. Because there's this doubt inside of me. And I don't know why it's there. But in the back of my mind, or maybe in the forefront of my mind, there's this doubt. Because God, honestly, I I can't see you. But I believe in you. I know you're there. Please help me, God. Help my unbelief. 
And then when you finish that prayer, after you've echoed many, many words to God, you finish that prayer, get up and, and remind yourself that God is there. Tell yourself that God is there. Think about all the things that God has done for you in your past, the past year, the past months, the past weeks, the past however long it's been, and think about everything that God has done for you. And here's something you ought to do. Write a diary. Write it down. Start writing it down. You cannot do it chronologically because you're going to think about things as you go. Just start writing down things that you know without a shadow of a doubt that God did for you when you were down, when you were sorrowful, when you were suffering, when you were struggling, and how God brought you out of that. And you might mind map it if you want to. You know, you draw a circle, and then in the middle of it, you may put um, an event, whatever that event is, and then um, like a sunshine, you put rays up, if you will, on the outside of that circle and start writing down your subpoints, subtopics, and you just keep going. And you'll go, you can do this forever if you just continue to think about all the things that God has done for you and read that on a regular basis and remind yourself of the love of God and how God has been there for you and what God has done for you and what God continues to do for you. And you'll be amazed at how your faith will grow because faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So to remind ourselves that, as the, as the scripture says, that God wants to be there and uh, help the afflicted and he delivers them out of them all. So verse 30, verse 19 again, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Not some of them, all of them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So I want to look at a, a few more scriptures on on. The contrite, if you will, those who are, are broken in spirit. Um, saw, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, 66. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and verse 2. The broken in heart. So here God is talking to Israel, and he's, he's talking about the glory of Israel, the glory of the throne of God. And in verse 1 he says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. God says, I'm looking for the one that's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I'm looking for that person. I want to support that person. I want to be there for that person. I want to grow that person. I want to save that person because that's who God is. God's a savior, right? And he wants to protect. And and then once we get through the situation, right, whatever the situation may be, then we look to God and say, thank you, God, and start talking about the situation. Dear God, I didn't know which way to go. And I pray to you. And then you start describing what God has done for you. It's amazing what it does to your brain. Look at chapter 57. Chapter 57 and verse 15. There it says, Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. So, on one hand, God says, I am separate. Right? I live in a high and lofty place. I am separate from the world. But at the same exact time, I am so in your life that I am down there in the pits 
with that person who is lowly of spirit, with that person who is struggling in their lives, I am down there with them while I am separated from everything else. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But the point is, is that God has the ability to do that. Right? And he can, he can bear it up. He can, he can, um, uh, accomplish it in a way that none of us ever could. And so there's this, this trusting faith and confidence in God that God wants us to grow towards to become people of faith who rely 100% on God. Right? Every, every moment, every second, every step of the way. Because Satan's out there. And, and Satan is trying to destroy us. And God knows it. And I wonder uh, at times, and maybe this is foolish, but I just think about this uh, often. I think about how many traps the, the Satan, the devil, uh, the Satan, how many traps Satan has laid in front of me and God removed before my day began. I wonder that. You know, how many traps, how many pits, uh, pitfalls, how many troubles or, or, or trials did Satan lay out there for me and then and then... God just removed them so that I could walk through this this valley, this terrible place. But to walk through it unscathed, not because I knew it was there, not because I'm good or smart or whatever it may be, but only because God removed them by his mercy and by his grace. See, I know that God can do that because God is down here with us in the sense that God is directing us and leading us and protecting us. And only God can remove the traps that Satan has laid out there for us. The ones that we cannot see. Remember Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's the spiritual battle that we're fighting, right? And God is protecting his people. Look at Isaiah 61, verse uh, verse 1. He says it again um, to the afflicted people. This is absolutely amazing, this passage here. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted he has sent me to, be, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to uh, prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the, of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." You hear what God is saying? Everything have done. I mean, he did it for everyone. But in particular, in Isaiah 61, it's for the afflicted. It's for the person who's troubled. It's for the person who's weary. It's for the person who's, who's going through tragedy in their lives. And what he does for that person is he brings good news. <laughs> and the good news is Jesus Christ. And and everything that comes with Jesus Christ. And, and, and God is a liberator, right? He proclaimed, he proclaimed liberty to the captives. Really? Yeah, liberty. God liberated people. Think about when you read the New Testament, when Jesus Christ was on the earth and walking, he liberated people, right? So God is a, is a liberator. And he was, uh, if you will, this favorable year has come. But he's also going to bring vengeance. And so that frees my mind. Guess what, brother? I don't have to get revenge. God's going to take care of me. Right? I don't have to sit back and, and wonder, oh, why are they doing this to me? How can I pay them back? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. Right? So then there's this freedom where I can free my mind and I can cast those burdens over to Jesus, over to God, and God will handle them.
before me. And so I can live my life in such a way to where I can live at peace. Isn't that what we want? We want peace. And the peace that God promises in John 14, 27 is a peace that surpasses all comprehension. So it's not even something you can explain. You say, I just can't explain the, the peace. I just, how do you, have, how do you make it through this? I, you know, I don't know how I could have made it without the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, I, I don't know how to really explain that. Just God is, God carried me through and He was with me. And, and you tell the world that and we tell them our experiences. When we can rely on God and trust in God, when we can give our lives over to God at all moments and times of our lives, even in those moments when it's really, really hard to give whatever you can. And this is important. Give whatever you can. God wants all. But give whatever you can to the Lord, right? Give whatever you can. And the more that you begin to give, the more that you will reap. The more blessings, the more tranquility, the more peace of mind when you begin to give things over to God. That is imperative. That's important. That is what God wants us to do. So what was God's answer to the afflicted? I hear the afflicted. God is speaking to, uh, to Israel and their, and their affliction. And God says, I have an answer. And now this is a, a dual connotation because this is a prophecy that has a fulfillment to Israel, but it also has a fulfillment to the world even today. What was God's answer? Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We'll begin uh, at verse 16. I believe it is. Luke 4 and verse 16. Tell me what God's answer is to the afflicted. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? So what's God's answer to the afflicted? Jesus. Jesus. So when I think about my life, and I think about trouble and the troubles that have come and the troubles that will come and, and life in general, I just had to remind myself to keep looking to Jesus. Right? Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. He is the answer. He is the answer to all of life's problems. And He has come to release us and to free us. And He's given us a word. And the word is found right here, the New Testament and the Old Testament. The whole Bible is given to us as God's relief. God's relief to, to help the mind to work through, to process difficulty. When you read the Bible, think about this. If you, read the, if you think about the Bible in the sense of God being a reactionary God, meaning God reacts. Though God has, a, has His perfect plan and foreknowledge, and I'm, I'm not denying any of that, but God reacts and responds. So a person is being afflicted, 
And God watches. God knows they're being afflicted. And then they pray to God, and then God swoops in to save them. He's a reactionary or a responsive God. He responds to our affliction. He reacts to situations. They look out and they say, oh, Lord, there are, there's an army that's approaching. What do we do? And then God sends relief, right? And so allow God who responds to our situation and, and reacts toward our situation to respond and react in your life. Take it to the Lord, always. In every situation, when, there, when there's trouble in your home, you know, husbands and wives are spatting and having trouble, stop, take it to the Lord. When there are problems with the children, stop, take it to the Lord. What we're used to doing is this. We strive to resolve everything that we possibly can first by ourselves, and then when we get to the end of the road, then we go to God. No, that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to stop, take it to the Lord, take it to the Lord, take it to the Lord. When you don't know which direction to run into, stop, right? I mean, you know, how many times have you seen it where people just say, you know, I don't know, I just started running. Why'd you run? Where'd you go? I just ran that way. Why'd you run that way? I don't know. Well, God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to run without aim. Just like 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 says, Paul says, I, I box." Uh, uh, you know, but not without aim. In other words, he has a target that he's focusing on. And so you've got to have a target, if you will. The target is to stay away from sin. The target is righteousness. And so when you don't know which way to go, just stop. Be patient and wait on the Lord. Listen to what he says, Matthew chapter 5. The very first sermon, right? The Sermon on the Mount. He goes up and he begins to teach people. And what's the first thing he says? The very first thing that Jesus says in his ministry on the Sermon on the Mount in verse 3 is this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why does God go right into, oh, I'll tell you why. Because he's going right into reality. Reality is, life is hard. Life is hard. And maybe we're not mourning right at this moment, but there's someone that is. Right? There are people who are mourning right now. There are people who are suffering tragedy right now. There are hard times before us right now, right in our midst. And God starts off with, I know life is hard, but I'm going to bless you through it. Starts right there. You know, right in that moment. Right just to get us to understand that not only does God understand and God knows. But God wants to be in our lives. So there's this consistent flow from Genesis to Revelation where you find God uh, as the hero, right? We've, we've, you know, this whole idea of heroes and, and villains and we've got Batman and Superman and whomever else, right? But no, God is the hero, right? And we got to make sure we teach our children, you got to trust in God. He's, he's better than Batman, right? Et cetera. You know, you get the point I'm trying to make. God wants to be in our lives. And we have to learn to pattern our lives after the, the fact that God wants to be there and wait and leave that space, leave that space for God to enter into our hearts to be there for us. It's like Romans uh, 12 where uh, God says, do not take out your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. God says, I want you to take, don't you go take care of it. Leave me, let me take care of it. Let me be God. And so the whole idea then, God wants to be in our lives. Turn, if you will, back to um, Psalm 136. Psalm 136. And listen to what uh, is echoed about the loving kindness of 
of God. And that loving, that loving kindness is everlasting to everlasting. It's an everlasting kindness, right? Um, verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him alone who does great wonders for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights for his loving kindness is everlasting. Uh, the sun to rule by day and for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night for his loving kindness is everlasting. And it just continues on over and over and over again. And how tempted have you been? I've been tempted to just read the top, refer, you know, caption and not read the refrain over and over again. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness. What do you think God's trying to tell us? Everything about this passage is for us, right? For thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That's for us. (laughs) We receive the goodness of God. Give thanks to the God of gods. That's for us. You've seen what they, you know, when you worship an idol God, I mean, they cut themselves with lashes. They sacrifice their children. They do all kinds of, no, but we have a God, the God of gods, whom we can serve and fear and love and be in a relationship with. Every verse is for us. He's not only the God of gods. You know, there are men who call themselves Lord. No, he's the Lord of lords. Those men, they won't, they won't exercise justice. No, but God is a God of mercy and a God of justice who alone does great wonders for us. He doesn't need to do it for himself. He already knows who he is. He does it for us. When we say, you know, I don't know how God made a way where there was no way, because God can do great wonders. His loving kindness is everlasting. So when you go back and you look at that and you realize, well, you know, the sun rule by day and night. Well, why is that important? Well, you ever been in darkness for too long? We live in Alaska. We know, right? I mean, we can't wait for the summertime because of all the light. We love the light. And so everything that God has done is purposed and it's for us because of the goodness and the greatness of our God. So Nineveh, they were in trouble, weren't they? I mean, there were some issues in Nineveh and Assyria, you know, that capital of Syria. They were having hard times because, you know, the the government was, was bad and the people were bad. Everything was bad and they worshiped a fish god. Right, Dagon. And so, you know, God, you know, brought, you know, He didn't just throw Jonah in the, in the belly of, I mean, if you will, in the water and then the belly of the great sea monster for nothing. He's going to the fish God, right? And the people who worship the fish God, He sent Jonah and Jonah was yucky and nasty and you know, all that stuff. But Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah chapter four. Jonah did not want to go, wrong way, to save these people. Jonah was, was, Jonah was being himself. And Jonah was angry at God. Because here's why Jonah fled in the other direction. Because Jonah didn't want to bear their burden, didn't care about those people, and he only cared about himself. See, we never put our trust in man, right? Jonah complained to God, and he said to God, uh, Jonah 4, verse 1, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish 
For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew you would forgive them, you would love them, you'd be compassionate toward them. You'd remove your anger and your loving kindness would be there for them. And I just didn't want to see it happen. That's how beautiful God is. It doesn't matter what anyone has to say about our lives. God says, I am who I am and I want to be there for you. God is wonderful. And so in our struggles and and, and difficulties, um, please always know that God has not forgotten us. He never will, right? Um, Ezekiel chapter 34 He never will forget us. He hasn't forgotten us. God absolutely, positively loves us to the extreme. We don't even have a word to really describe how much God loves us. We use the word agape, y'all. It's the best that we have. But to understand the true definition, love, the love of God, is is a lesson, a teaching that is too deep for words. There's no preacher who could describe to you uh, none of us could ever describe the depth of God's love. We can't even touch the hem of the garments. We don't understand the depth of God's love. God loves us. God has not forgotten us. And God will never leave us alone. It's just not in God's character to do that. Uh, Ezekiel 30, uh, chapter 34 and verse 15. Speaking to Israel uh, who were being neglected. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. So God talking to the shepherds who weren't feeding his people. And he says, I'll take care of them. I'll take care of my people. And he he talks about what the shepherds refused to do all the way up to this point. And he says, you know what? If they won't do it, I will take care of it. And so how much do I trust God that regardless of what anyone else does, Against me or for me, God will take care of me. I believe that with all my heart. And why do I believe that? I believe that not only because the Bible says it, but I believe that because God has taken care of me. He has taken Even when I was out there uh, living ungodly, if you will, God still took care of me. God is nothing more than good and great. And I'm so thankful to God that this is what he loves to do. Uh, Luke chapter 15, and then I think our time is going to be up. Uh, But Luke chapter 15, here's what God loves to do. He loves to rescue us, right? Now, I don't don't want to be a rescue mission. I don't don't want to live my life in such a way and say, okay, Lord, see if you can get me this time, right? We don't do that. But when I'm I'm struggling in my heart, God knew I was going to struggle. And God already set in motion a plan. Every time, God always has a motion and plan to help me through my difficulties, And he's always there. And he's always there for you to help you through your difficulties, your struggles, your inner feelings. Those times you try to be tough. Those times you try to hide those feelings. God knows every one of them. And God is setting a plan in motion to do what he always does. And that is to rescue us and deliver us for our good. And thank God for that. And so when you go to Luke 15 and look at verse 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no 
repentance. I am, God, God says, I am so excited when one of my children repents. And sometimes God has to lead us and let us suffer a little bit to cause us to repent. But always know that when we suffer, it doesn't make God happy. God does not like to see his people suffer. In fact, you read in the Old Testament and it says, you know, God couldn't stand it anymore when his people were suffering. Even though they were wicked and unrighteous and all the things they were doing, he came to a point where he said, I just can't stand it anymore. And he comes in and saves them. The book of Judges, Exodus chapter 2 and many other places. In verse 10, again, he repeats it. In the same way, I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner who repents. Tonight, where's your faith? All of us struggle. This is not, this is not a lesson that um, is designed to, to pick at anyone a point. All of us suffer. All of us struggle. And all of us have this, this faith. Sometimes we're strong. And I love it. You know, some days, some days I'm strong and, and other days I'm not so strong. Thank God my wife is strong. And she can help me. And we can, we can help each other. And the church, you know, we're strong. And sometimes we're not as strong. We can help one another, right? We've got to be there for each other, pray for each other, rely on God, trust in God, and give our lives over to Him and watch God work in our lives in an amazing way. So thank you for this. We'll come back, Lord willing, with our, our next lesson in this same series, uh, Lord willing, uh, next, next week. Thank you for your time.